Hi there and welcome to another Oslo podcast from the 22nd annual ANZIC CTG meeting held in the beautiful town of Noosa Heads in Queensland, Australia. On today's podcast, I'll be chatting with Shailesh Bahari about his presentation on the use of 20% albumin solutions for sepsis resuscitation. Shailesh, welcome to the podcast. I'm good to be here. Shailesh, your um, proposed trial is looking at um, exploring the role of 20% albumin in the initial resuscitation of septic shock patients. What's the biological plausibility of this um, approach? Yeah, so the biological plausibility has come from our previous research. Uh, let me start from the beginning. I mean, the 20% albumin is not considered a very re- kind of fluid for resuscitation. But we have done some work in healthy volunteers and we compared all the available fluids. We published that in Applied Physiology, Journal of Applied Physiology. And it seems to have the, you know, the, the best cardiorespiratory efficacy and probably the best safety signal also. Now, we tend to understand these fluids as uh, just uh, IV fluids, but in my head, these are all drugs, and all drugs will have some kind of, you know, uh, adverse effects. Now, uh, I mean, uh, to the population of intensive care, it's not uh, rocket science to understand what the problem of fluid balance is and sodium load is and chloride load is. And 20% albumin theoretically offers all those kind of advantages, it does not have, uh, uh, I mean, it has small volume. It has uh, less fluid kind of intake. It has less sodium, less chloride. And then there's ongoing kind of a developing literature of its biological properties, got antioxidant properties, glycocalyx protective properties, maybe inhibition of endothelial apoptosis. So all these things make it a very attractive option. The, we have done some clinical work in this. We did a swipe study uh, a couple of years back. This is published intensive care medicine with three-center study, which was all patients requiring fluid resuscitation in ICU. And we compared 4% albumin and 20% albumin. Johan Matheson was the first author. And uh, we essentially showed that not only it was safe, but it almost had uh, similar outcomes. But we uh, administered almost 68% less fluid volume, and hence we end up with less cumulative fluid balance 48 hours after this uh, randomization. Now, that study had around 10 to 12% patient sepsis. Uh, similarly, Ronaldo and his group uh, recently finished a study called HAS Phase study, where they had a before and after design of using crystalloid in the before and 20% albumin as an after group. And almost had the similar results that not only they had less fluid administration by 20% albumin, but actually in that study they had less uh, duration of uh, vasopressor requirement in the 20% albumin. All these things taken together, I can go on and on, but these things taken together provides a strong rationale to look at in uh, patient septic shock. The most striking difference, I guess, is the different volumes of fluid that will be given. Do you have a sense that that will be the predominant effect um, that will result in benefit, or is uh, are there other mechanisms at play in your mind? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, because it's a very early stage, it's difficult to say. So the things I know is definitely you administer less fluid, you administer less sodium load, it have less chloride load, have probably less serum sodium and serum chloride as a result have uh, in the HS play study had, uh, you know, decreased the duration of noradrenaline with uh, with these uh, 20% albumin. So with these things taken together, it may have a, a rationale for, uh, you know, have a biological effect. Now, there is lots of data out there in the basic science of these biological effects of albumin. And uh, I suppose going forward in sepsis literature, 
glycocalyx injury will be an important target area in future and the, uh, you know uh, the study with john fraser group it showed that the glycocalyx is injured with fluid resuscitation probably with the release of ANP, but uh, we're not sure that's true in human sample. We have not shown that directly, but in animal samples, they have definitely shown that. And with all the feast result, and that's how they explain the feast result, where, you know, in the African children, uh, fluid resuscitation was quite harmful, either whether you use crystalloid or colloid. So uh, putting this together, uh, albumin does have a protective effect on glycocalyx and experimental model. But that's some of the mechanistic arms we want to examine in the proposed study. Shalish, 20% albumin has also been used in sort of the recovery phase as a, almost like a transit vehicle of fluid from the extracellular fluid to the kidneys. But you're talking about this in the early resuscitation phase. Can you tell us about the uh, trial design and what you're, what you're proposing? Sure. Look, uh, I'm well aware of uh, this, uh, the use of current use of 20% albumin and the thought process that you can reabsorb fluid from interstitium. That's not probably entirely true, maybe partially true. I mean, uh, with the glycocalyx model, we have the revised Starling equation, which kind of tells you that it's not directly, not easily possible to reabsorb fluid. So obviously, there are other mechanisms at play. Now, with the current study, it's essentially it's a mechanistic study. It's a multi-center. So our uh, Flinders Medical Center and Austin Hospital with Rinaldo are doing it, and I'll be very grateful other centers can join us. It's a randomized study. It's an open-label study, and it's a randomized controlled trial. And uh, hopefully with this, uh, the primary outcome of the study is essentially uh, circulatory shock duration, which is measured at time alive and free from vasopressors at day seven. And there are a bunch of secondary outcomes and then mechanistic outcomes where we will understand what happens to your nitric oxide, your inflammation, your glycocalyx, your apoptosis markers. So tell us about the, the implementation or the, the, the protocol that you'll use to administer this. When will it be used and how, how will, you, um, will you implement it? Correct. So look, we have a very standard inclusion criteria, which has been used previously. We try to make it as simple as possible, essentially adult patients is suspected of confirmed infection, and then either or one of the either, either they have no, on vasopressors to maintain a blood pressure more than 65 or a lactate more than 2, and there has to be a need of fluid bolus administration as determined by the best side treating clinician. We have put in certain exclusion criteria. Some of them are quite standard for a study design like this, but what is more probably specific for the study is that we have excluded Jehovah's Witness for obvious reasons. We've already also excluded patients who had more than one liter of fluid resuscitation for this episode of sepsis, or they have received human albumin for this episode of sepsis. So they're a bit straight, but I think in a, in a small initial mechanistic study, we have to be a bit more straight to understand what's happened. And the intervention itself, in the intervention arm, after it will be randomized, 20% albumin will be used for all fluid resuscitation. Uh, and, but after 300 mils of 20% albumin, the investigator will be allowed to use other fluids now I'm going to add. This is what we discussed in our in our uh, my presentation yesterday. I would also like to give 100 mils of 20% albumin twice a day up to five days, which will this amount will be inclusive of the resuscitation, so nothing over the resuscitation fluid. So at least make sure these patients get some 20% albumin. Otherwise, my worry is if they don't get enough albumin, we may not find any mechanistic pathways. But it's open to discussion and uh, something we've discussed a lot and I think it's an important part of this uh, fluid as an album as a drug kind of a concept. 
Well, the control participants, they will get balanced crystalloids for resuscitation, which, which we believe is the current uh, safest drug available. After two liters of uh, crystalloids, the investigator will be allowed to use other fluids except 20% albumin. The rest of the care is just a uh, standard local practice, essentially. Now, you mentioned the endpoint, um, time alive and basopressor-free at seven days. Um, for those who aren't aware of these types of out- outcomes, can you describe how that's calculated and, and what you can infer from it? Sure. I mean, essentially, uh, from the time you're you randomised, you see, and these patients will be on, on vasopressors when they're randomized because that's essentially the exclusion, inclusion criteria. And they will be on and off the NORAD or the vasopressin or any vasopressor requirement. Essentially, we'll be calculating that to the time uh, they are off the vasopressors and alive at seven days. So, for example, a person is on, on NORAD line at 24 hours. So uh, he will, and then he is off NORAD, and then he gets NORAD for eight hours again. So that's eight hours added to the first 24 hours. And in a, in a week's time, we have uh, uh, 168 hours. So we'll subtract how much many hours you have on the NORAD. So that's the time of uh, time alive and free conveyor presses, essentially. The, the reason we did that is because the previous study which we did in in the in this uh, in this which ha- it had a mean vasopressor survival hours of 86 in this cohort, and hence we thought that well we use a clinically significant increase of 24 hours, that will give us a you know uh, enough power to look at this question with 150 patients. In terms of the other uh, mechanistic outcomes, can you tell us a little bit more about um, what you'll be looking at? Correct. So we have a bunch of secondary outcomes, essentially all the physiological outcomes like your blood pressure in the first four hours, CVP, urine output. Then we're looking at your total fluid administered, cumulative fluid balance, uh, uh, then your organ failure scores, the SOFA scores. Then you have feasibility outcomes that how easy, what is, how much was the protocol deviations. Then finally, you have patient-centered outcomes of ICU and hospital uh, kind of uh, related outcome, length of stay and mortality. Now, these outcomes, we don't anticipate them to be different. Essentially, it's then there to do kind of do sample size calculation for future larger trials. Then we have mechanistic outcomes. Essentially, we will be collecting blood and urine samples, hence a bit of involved study. And after the flood, uh, first fluid administration at uh, first hour, third hour, and fifth hour, and then on day one, day three, day five, so six times we collect the blood samples. The idea is to have the immediate temporal changes and the sustained temporal changes in markers of lung and kidney injury and essentially explore the mechanistic pathways because, you know, there's lots of uh, basic basic science data about nitric oxide activity and inflammation and uh, glycocalyx and endothelial apoptosis prevention. So all those things can be, we can look at in, 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 in the mechanistic side of, of this study. So you presented this at the uh, conference yesterday. Um, what's the next step in getting the project up and going? Uh, so any any project like this, uh, it requires a bit more thought process about the data collection sheet or CRF. So we we are using the similar CRF which we use for the for the swipe study. So it's kind of a, you know uh, tested in in a, in a way. But obviously, we'll make uh, certain changes from what we have learned from that study. Uh, second is, uh, I mean, the study is under ethics consideration or will be under ethics and decision rather very soon. And uh, so that's next step. And finally is funding. So they uh, applied for, a, well, I will be applying for Intensive Care Foundation as a seeding grant to start this. And I'll be looking at uh, 
maybe some industry help with CSL uh, to whether they could be interested in the study. I've applied for an investor grant for my to help me kind of uh, conduct this study. So there are a few things happening at the moment before we can actually get on and do the study. Shailesh, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Congratulations on your talk yesterday and all the best. We look forward to hearing the results as they come through over the next couple of years. Thanks, Todd. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. For more interviews just like this, visit our website at osla.force.com.